Welcome to another episode of Being Human. Delighted to say I'm here with Mark Meyer. His pen name is T. Mark Meyer, and he has written the book, The Art of Being Authentic. Increase self-esteem, be happier, and discover your purpose. So I'm very excited to get into into his work. Uh, He's also a psychotherapist and a business consultant. Mark, a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Now, I am very keen to get into your backstory because it's not often you you read the introduction to a book and you're like immediately hooked. Uh, But I was with this one. you you made an extraordinary turn in your career. So um, yeah, I'd love for you to set up for our audience a bit of your your back backstory in terms of where you were before you took this this path down to to psychotherapy. Yeah, Richard, I guess I was uh, somewhere completely different than where I am now. Uh, I think that I came uh, when I was a young man. I I had a uh, sort of a I wanted to prove to the world that I was good enough. Uh, that I was worth something. Um, and I guess that came from uh, experiences in my upbringing. So I went out in the, to the world and wanted to prove myself. And uh, the way I decided to prove myself was basically how we often view success from the outside. I thought I had to make a lot of money. I had to have uh, a lot of success in terms of my career. So uh, I did an MBA and I you know, worked really hard for the companies that hired me. I wanted to get them results and, uh, and they got them. So fairly quickly I was promoted and I think I was in my early thirties when I was uh, heading up uh, three different uh, offices in three different countries for a UK based uh, online agency. And I was doing uh, very well. And I think it was something that it was a goal that I set that I, that, that I had attained. Uh, and it was, Perhaps it was my, my vision of success was realized in that moment. But shortly after that, I didn't feel happy. I felt like, you know, I need something more. Uh, I need more than this, more, more than this prestigious job and this, uh, the, the, good, the good salary. I need to do something more. So I, I left the company uh, in order to start a tech company. So I found some uh, investors and uh, we started a tech company. And I was sure that starting this tech company would be, uh, this was what I wanted, you know. Then finally, once I'm successful with this, then I'll be happy. So this tech company got off the ground, to the ground, got off to a really good start. Um, and uh, we had year-on-year growth, uh, more growth than we imagined. We won business awards, we won tech awards, we were even making profits. And for some reason, I still wasn't happy. Uh, by now, my way of thinking, my modality was like, okay, I guess I'll have to start another company. So I started one more company. Uh, and after that, one more. And it was always with this sort of hope that once I reached my goals, then there would be some sort of emotional, I don't know, redemption or something. I would feel something that I've been uh, looking for. And it never really materialized. So in my, you could almost say desperation, uh, I started looking around, what else could I do? And I've done a lot of training as a coach and as a business coach because, you know, I had these, all these goals that I wanted to attain and uh, had all these uh, people working for me that I had to attain their goals. So I thought, well, what about becoming a psychotherapist? And I was rich. I was like, maybe that's what I need. I need to understand everybody else around me and uh, then I'll be happy. Uh, so I signed up to... Uh, for this uh, four-year training program of becoming a, a psychotherapist. 
And what, I remember your showing, wife's reaction to that. My wife's reaction to that was, okay, you run three companies, you get up at 6 a.m. every morning, including on weekends, and now you're going to train as a, as a psychotherapist. And I got to be honest, back then, I was not the kind of type who I wouldn't take advice really because I was so fixated on my goals. So I was just like, well, I'll, I'll handle it. I think I gave her some sort of a, some sort of story that if I meditated for 20 minutes a day, I could cut off 45 minutes of sleep and then it would be possible. For, I had this whole calculation made up, right? So I went, <laughs> so I went ahead and did it. And I remember showing up for the first class uh, for this uh, psychotherapy education and I was handed some papers that I hadn't really looked at before and it said I had to go through 40 hours of therapy myself. Uh, and I, 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 look, I went to the teacher and I said to them, listen, uh, there's something wrong here. You know, I'm not here to understand myself. I'm here to understand others. You know, what am I going to talk to a therapist for 40 hours about? And she just smiled and said, well, you know, you got to do it if you, if you, if you want to do the training. Um, so I did. And then that it was a good thing. It was a really good thing for me because then I all, all of a sudden I started looking at what is I'm doing in my life? Why am I chasing all these goals? What is it I'm trying to, to attain? And I realized that I was looking for something inside of me, outside of myself. I was looking for some sort of external validation to make me feel happy. And in the minute I realized that, I realized that I needed to do something different. I needed to act differently because I was never going to find what I wanted outside of me. So uh, basically left uh, my companies and left the, you know, the daily business of those. And then I started up a uh, psychotherapy practice once I was done with my, my training. And today I, I work with uh, authenticity. I do therapy. I do business consulting for companies. And uh, I do a lot of coaching for, for leaders and athletes on, on how to find their purpose. And I'm intrigued. How did your colleagues in these companies that you created react to you deciding to go become a psychotherapist? Yeah, that, that, and that actually goes a little to authenticity, right? Because there was, I'll be honest, there were a lot of people that didn't really understand it. There were some that were very uh, accommodating and very, I think it's really cool you're doing this. Some people also go, wow, I wish I should have, uh, I, I should do something similar. Uh, and that's, of course, uh, also nice. But there was also people who, uh, who didn't fully understand it. Because, you know, the minute you, and this goes to authenticity, the minute you try to do something that's authentic, for you, you also run the risk of not fitting in. And uh, if, you've, if, if you've had a connection with people that's been about uh, profit and EBITDA and, uh, and, and revenue and growth, well, um, then sort of that, that reference sort of, uh, of uh, being together, it, it sort of vanishes a little bit, right? And uh, of course, not all people are comfortable with that. I think most people uh, have, have responded really well to it. Right, right. And, and so you, you looked underneath, you know, what's, what's driving me to, to have these goals and, and create these businesses and so on. And what did, what did you start to discover then through that 40 hours about yourself? Well, I think I, I discovered that, first of all, I, dis I discovered that, you know, I used goals a lot to sort of um, to sort of uh, make my inauthentic 
way of living sort of like bearable for me. I use goals in the belief that once I, once I reach them, then things will be different. And I realized that goals in themselves are meaningless if they don't have a purpose behind them. Right. And uh, connecting to that purpose, connecting to that purpose is something that is needed in order for us to get something from the goals we have in life. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a powerful insight. And, and so where did you get to on your purpose? What did you start to uncover there? Well, uncovering your purpose, I think, you know, there's, there are things that sort of like, uh, it's not as easy as it sounds because you can't sit down like you would with a goal list. You can just sit down and write, okay, I want these, achieve these 10 goals in, uh, in life. Uh, but, but you can't really do that with a purpose because a purpose is not something that you sit down and decide. A purpose is more something that happens for you. It's the sum of your life experiences, the, the narrative you have in your life that sort of unfolds as a purpose. So it's a little bit like an onion where you have to sort of peel off some layers in order to get to your, uh, your purpose. So you have to take um, a good look at yourself. Um, who am I? And I think you also got to ask yourself some questions. You said before, um, how did the people around me react? Well, one of the things I did is I asked myself, what if there were no expectations in life? Nobody expected anything from me. Then what would I do? And then, you know, slowly, <laughs> you know, some, some ideas would, would, would come to, to, to my conscious mind. And then I would, I would ask myself, I would say, okay, well, what if no matter what I did, everyone around me would meet, uh, would meet me with a positive attitude. So if I went out and said, I'm going to do this, uh, they're going to be, wow, that sounds great, Mark. Wow, that's good for you. Great that you did that. And I kept asking myself these questions where I try to sort of remove the judgments of others from the equation. Uh, and I, I knew they were going to be there in real life, but this was a mental exercise for me, right? So I tried to remove the judgments of other people and I tried to remove my own judgments as well, right? Because we do that in life when we've been judged enough, we start to internalize it, right? And we make our own judgment, right? Mm. So I tried to sort of remove those with the questions I asked myself. And then I think I ended up with a purpose that, or one of my purposes, I should say, is that I want to uh, help other people feel better about themselves uh, by helping them be more authentic. Wow. So that, and that came to you in that process. Yes, definitely. And, and I love the way that you, um, you constructed those questions, right? Because you, you sort of hacked, right? The, the judgment facet, because we can't help but judge ourselves. We can't help but feel judged by others. Right? It seems to be just part of being human. So you ask, well, what if all of the judgments were positive, right? Then what? Exactly. Right? You, you don't yeah. say like, what if I wasn't judged? Because I'm guessing that's a lot harder for the ego to to, to take on, but it's easier for the ego to accept a possible scenario where all judgment is positive. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's a good point. And I think this whole, I, I think that, that we take other people's judgment, uh, it, we take it very seriously because I think it's almost ingrained in us like at a, at a level of survival, right? Because we are, you know, creatures that survive by, by being together, right? Ever since the dawn of time, we had to fight, you know, bears and sable tigers and whatnot. And, 
and you don't want to do that alone. You want to have your friends with you, right? So, so you know, whenever we do something where we don't fit in or there's a possibility that, that we're not going to fit in and, and get rejected, I think it activates something in us at a, at a very fundamental level where we're, we don't like that. You know, it, it's a scary thing to do. So, uh, so I think that's one of the most important things when it comes to being authentic is, is to sort of look past those judgments. Right. Yeah. Um, so this, this, uh, realization emerged for you that this Mm -hmm. was going to be your purpose, helping others to be authentic. Well, and the the first question that comes to me is then, well, what do we mean by authenticity? What does it mean to be authentic? Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, that's a really good question, right? Because that's also something that I ask myself a lot. And uh, both from when writing the book from a general perspective, but of course also from an, for an individual, from an individual perspective, right? Because at the personal level, what's authentic for you and what's authentic for me, those are different things, right? Because it's something that's uh, unique for each and every one of us. But if we have to view it in some sort of general term, um, then it becomes a little more complicated because on one hand, you could say you could say that being authentic is being true to who you are, being true to your values, being true to your needs, you know, despite the pressures from from the outside world. Uh, and that could be a good definition when we sit and talk about it. But it becomes more difficult in real life because uh, if I say to you, I would like you, Richard, to be be true to your values, your needs, and your wants, despite the pressures of the outside world. Now go, you know, you'll be okay, you know. Uh, at what cost? I would like to know that before I start being authentic here. Is it at all cost? Uh, you know, can I take feedback or do I have to, you know, have my opinions no matter what? And all of a sudden this, you know, the practicality of being, uh, authentic becomes, uh, difficult, right? So, so from a general perspective, you could say, you know, it's being who you are. It's being true to yourself, your values and your needs. Um, but in real life, it becomes a little more fuzzy. Right, right. And so expand on, you know, what, where that fuzziness is, you know, what's, what do you well, mean by that? Well, it, it, you know, if, for instance, if we take this uh, with fitting in, right? I mean, we, we need to know what are the costs of, uh, of, of being uh, authentic. We need, to, we need to make some sort of cost-benefit analysis in our life, right? I, you know, joking, jokingly, uh, I sometimes say if I went home to my wife and said, listen, I'm done watching the kids. Uh, you know, I'm going to watch a lot more soccer. I'm going to go out with my friends a lot more. You know, uh, it's not authentic for me to do dishes. I'm, I'm afraid the cost would be, she would say, okay, well, you know, you can pack your suitcase or I can pack mine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, 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 you know, it becomes a little fuzzy because, you know, being authentic is not only being who you truly are, but it has to be in a way so that others can also be who they are, right? Mm. So that comes, that becomes, it becomes like there's two sides to the coin, right? Uh, Sometimes we mistake authenticity for being ego-driven. You know, we we see, you know, rock stars, uh, you know, and think, oh, they're very authentic. They'll never go on stage unless everything is perfect, right? Well, maybe it's not authentic. Maybe it's ego-driven, you know, because when we are authentic, we have to not only be ourselves, but we also have to let other people be themselves. Does that make sense? It does. It's almost like you're defining as being a, a 
a sort of conduit for authenticity or a space for authenticity as opposed to I'm authentic, right? Something like that. That's very, I, I never thought of that like that, Richard. I think that's a very good way of saying it, that you create a space for authenticity that you can step into and then you can allow uh, other people to step into as well, yes. Yeah, and I can see how the ego might not like that, right? Because it, it, it might ask, well, I, well, where's me in this, right? I, I, I want to be authentic. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And and that's that's one of the things that, that makes it, um, again, can make it a little fuzzy, right? Because being ego-driven is not being authentic. Being ego-driven is doing all of these things that makes me look good and makes me feel good, but maybe isn't entirely good for me. And, and usually the more ego-driven we are, well, the lower self-esteem we're going to have. Uh, those two, they're usually opposites, right? So people with big egos usually have low self-esteem. And that's why when you try to sort of pull down their ego, they're going to resist because then they'll be left with only the low self-esteem, right? And people with high self-esteem tend to have a low sense of ego, right? And in order for us to be authentic, in order for us to say, okay, listen, I am going to do this because this is the right thing for me to do and I'm going to risk not fitting in, we have to have the self-esteem to feel that we're worth it. Mm. So our ego can sometimes get in the way of our authenticity because our ego wants external validation. Our ego wants to fit in, right? But it's our self-esteem, it's our, you know, it's, it's our core that needs to be ready to step into uh, the space of authenticity. Right. And it's interesting the way you define that. So self-esteem is knowing, knowing what's right for me and, and acting on that, presumably. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Knowing what's right for And that's, that's something that, you know, what is right for me is a difficult question. Because again, this whole thing of fitting in uh, becomes a topic, right? And, and sometimes our conscience will, will try to make us not be authentic, right? Um, and what I mean by that is, we sometimes think, sometimes think that our conscience is some sort of moral compass of what's right and wrong, and it's always that. But it isn't really, because our conscience cares a lot about fitting in. It's, uh, it's part of our survival mechanism. So if we don't uh, fit in, we will start to feel guilty. You know, an example could be that, uh, you know, you want to send your friend uh, uh, a text for, uh, of a personal nature. You want to send them an SMS. And you inadvertently send it to a business contact uh, and you wrote something very personal. So immediately as you do this, you start feeling shame and guilt. Oh no, I sent it to the right, what are they going to think? That's your conscience trying to, <laughs> regulating guilt here, trying to say, hey, you're about to break a bond, Richard. You shouldn't have sent that. <laughs> you should have sent it to your friend instead, right? Um, and that also becomes, when we have to find out what's right for me, you know, we also have to, it can be a little difficult because sometimes if we want to break free of a certain way of doing things and want to step into our authenticity, we'll start maybe experiencing a little bit of guilt because we're not going to fit in, right? Mm. Interesting. And so if, the, if, if our authenticity, our ability to be authentic is founded on our self-esteem, you know, what have you found then that's helped you to improve your your self-esteem? What, what's worked for you in your journey? Well, I believe that self-esteem is something that uh, that we are in control of ourselves. We can do something in our the way that we choose and act and decide that'll add to our self-esteem, 
Or we yeah, you say in the book, we're in 100% in control of our self-esteem. Yes, exactly, exactly. And a lot of people don't think that. They think that, uh, you know, that if I have, if I have low self-esteem, then I, I have to go to years of therapy in order for it to be better. Or some people may even say, okay, well, you know, uh, there's, there's this lid on my self-esteem. You know, it can only go this high. Maybe your self-esteem can be higher, but I, you know, this is my maximum of, of, of self-esteem. And it's really not like that because I believe that when we make decisions that are authentic for us, that are true for us, that are right for us in our nature, then it'll add to our self-esteem. And if we make things that we really don't want to do, but we do them because we fit in, we do them because our ego says we'll look good, uh, you know, we'll feel good. Whenever we make those kind of decisions, they actually take away from our self-esteem. So the more we feed our ego with decisions that are supposed to, you know, sort of push our ego up, well, we will have lower self-esteem. But the more we feed our core with doing things that we think are, you know, the authentic decisions for us, well, the better self-esteem we will get. Mm. And, and so obviously you made a big move when you gave up running the companies and, and, and chose to go down the, the psychotherapy. That was, sounds to me like that was a, an authentic decision, which presumably boosted your, your self-esteem. Where, where did you find yourself like getting blocked or, or, or when, when did it like not work? For you? you know, when did you notice you were coming from ego and then how did you sort of correct yourself and put yourself onto the self-esteem track? You know, I'm, I'm interested in, in developing that muscle and, and yeah, you know, how you did it. Yeah. Well, I think you see, you put it very well, Richard, right? You say it's a muscle you, you develop, you sort of train it, right? So when you make a little authentic decision, you don't have to make major, but when you want to make make a little one, it adds to your self-esteem. When you have a little more self-esteem, then you can, right. can make more authentic decisions. So it's, it sort of becomes a self-reinforcing process. But I think it's a process that goes on for life. I, I don't think there's a check mark that says, okay, I'm 100% authentic now, check. Uh, you know, um, and, and I still, you know, I still uh, sometimes get caught up in, in my old ways. You know, I had that... Uh, uh, about a month ago, you know, I was uh, looking at uh, the seminars I was doing and, and the therapy and, and, and the book sales. And uh, and all of a sudden, I started sitting in a in Excel spreadsheet thinking about, well, what if I mass produce this and then it could, it could give me that kind of revenue? And I went on back to my old, you know, uh, <laughs> CEO way of thinking, how can I maximize profit, right? And I had to stop and say, but that's not why you're doing it, is it? You know, I mean, I welcome having a, you know, a nice salary and, 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 and bringing in revenue, but, but it has to come from my purpose because otherwise I, I, will, I will lose myself in it, right? That's interesting. So you, you, it's, it's about developing an ability to notice when you're in yeah. an ego-driven mindset. Yes, exactly, right? And, and that is, that's something you train, right? Because our minds are... Uh, they're great at BSing us sometimes, right? We can convince ourselves <laughs> that, you know, the comfortable approach uh, or the approach that makes us fit in is much better for us if we just think hard and long enough uh, about it, right? Yeah. And, and what's also tricky is presumably you, you could do some revenue projections and some profit forecasting from a purely authentic place. It's, it's no, so the same activity could be inauthentic uh, or authentic, d depending on where you're coming from. Very good, very good example, yes, because that's an important thing, right? Because it, what defines authenticity? Well, you know, the intention we have behind it, right? 
uh, if if I'm sitting here talking to you and to the listeners about being authentic, and you somehow find out that the only reason I did it was for the money, then right. you would immediately deem me inauthentic, right? Because you would know I wasn't coming from the right intention, right? And that goes back to self-esteem, and that goes back to the way that the, we live our lives authentically. We have to have the right intention when we do something. And, uh, you know, an example I, I, I think I use in the book and I, I often use is, the, let's say that you and I, Richard, we go out to, uh, to feed the homeless, uh, you know, today. And you take everybody, you go left and you take, feed all the homeless on the left, and I go right and I, I feel, feed all the, the homeless on the right. Well, you, it, we're doing the same action, right? But let's imagine for a minute that your intention is you genuinely want, you, you genuinely want to help these uh, poor people uh, in their life. Then you're going to walk away from that experience with a heightened sense of self-esteem because you've done something in line with your intention. If I do it, but I only do it because I want to show the world how, look at me, I'm, I'm such a do-gooder, you know, the, look at how I'm helping everybody else. Well, now I'm just trying to feed my fragile ego here, right? So I'm going to walk away from that with lower self-esteem because I've, I've basically said to myself, you need other people to externally validate you for you to be okay, right? So the same action with a different intention can provide totally different outcomes. Right, and and you, you devote quite a lot in the book uh, to this topic of an intention. and. Yeah, just just talk a little bit about uh, you know what we mean by intention, you know where it comes from, uh, and also the distinction between intention and intuition, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, uh, I mean, intention is a word that, like authenticity, you know, we use in in, in many different ways, right? You know, some will use intention and say, "I will direct my intention to put this and this to manifest in life." Right, uh, uh, and 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 I have uh, I, I have no I I can't say whether or not manifestation works, but I can say that that's not how I understand intention. Because if you're constantly trying to manifest something in life by con- trying to control it, direct your intention, well, then maybe you're actually also seeking external validation, right? Then you're saying, oh, well, something has to happen outside of me in my circumstances in order for me to be okay, right? Um. So, so I think intention is more the reason why we do things. That's how I understand it. This is the reason why I do th- certain things. This is my motivation for doing it at a fundamental level, right? And yes, then there's some people that will say that's intuition. Um, and then I'll say, I don't, I don't think it is really. You know, I mean, we can view intuition in, in uh, different ways. We can say, some people will say intuition is just... Uh, Past experiences, the sum of that will give you some sort of indication of what's going to happen, right? So a, a firefighter goes into a building and he gets an intuition that, you know, it's going to collapse now, so he runs out. And some people will say, well, that's the, the combination of the, the fire crackling and, and, and the way the heat was feeling and, and, and all these things made his conscious mind aware of something was wrong but couldn't tell how. That's one way of using intuition. Another way of, of, uh, of talking about intuition is saying that intuition is just a magical ability. You can go in and you can feel in your, your gut what's, what's going to happen. Uh, and both can be true, really. But that has nothing to do with why we do the things we do, you know? Right. Because why we do the things we do, we need to understand that. Intuition doesn't help us to understand it. 
it can guide us in a certain way uh, and we can view it diff- in different ways. But ultimately, getting to your intention, we need to understand why am I doing what I'm doing? Right, right. And, and again, well, and how, but how, how do we get to that intention and, and why is it useful <laughs> to understand it? Yeah, it's definitely useful to understand it from the example that we talked about earlier. Because, you know, the, th- the actions you're going to take in life, whether or not they're going to add to your self-esteem or, and, and your authenticity, well, th- that's going to be defined by the intention behind it, right? Mm. So, so we, we want to know for that reason, right? We want to know so that we, we, we can't emulate other people and do what they do and expect the th- same thing to happen for us if we don't have the same intention, right? So we need to understand our intention just for that. And how we do it is, I guess, that life-long uh, journey of, of self-awareness, uh, <laughs> that search that man has been on for uh, millennia, right, uh, is to understand who am I and, and, and why am I doing what I do, right? Mm. Mm. And, and staying in that inqu- inquiry and making space yeah. to reflect on those questions. Yes, exactly. And, and, of course, the more comfortable you get staying in that space of authenticity, the more um, in tune you come with your uh, with your own emotions, uh, you know, the, then the easier this becomes, right? Yeah, yeah. Now you talk about trauma and intention in the book. Yeah, t- t- tell me more about how trauma plays a role here. Uh, well, it plays a role as uh, in, in you know uh, in relation to what we just discussed. I think that if you if you want to understand your intention, if you want to understand who you are then you need to be able to be with your emotions, right? And, um, and trauma can have a tendency or, you know, to sort of push us away. And I think the first thing to say is that trauma, when we say trauma, some people will say, well, trauma is something that happens to other people. It's terrible things, uh, you know. But, but, but trauma happens to all of us to some extent. You know, some people are more po- comfortable calling it painful experiences or, or something else. But, but we've all experienced something that has left sort of a traumatic imprint on us, right? When we don't process trauma, then uh, it it stays with us, right? And then we want to avoid it, obviously. We don't want to experience that trauma again, right? So we start developing avoidance behavior. When something happens, then we say, okay, this could remind me of my trauma, so I'm not going to do that, right? And then in essence, we become a used example in the book we become a little bit like a zebra being chased by a lion, right? So uh, where the lion is the trauma and you are the zebra, right? So if the lion goes to the right, then the zebra has to go to the left. If the lion goes to the left, the zebra has to go to the right. If it picks up at pace, it has to run faster and so forth. The problem with that is, of course, you lose direction, you know, because even if you escape the lion momentarily, where are you going to end up? Well, you're going to end up at some random place that your trauma dictated. Uh, in essence right and that's not the path to being authentic the path to being authentic you you need direction to get there yeah yeah and it's so you know i'm so glad you're talking about this because i you know a big part of this show is is dedicated to exploring this topic of trauma and i one of the one of the recent examples that i found quite stunning really i don't know if you're familiar with a cyclist called bradley wiggins he's a british yeah yeah, cyclist and very successful and he recently uh, announced having done a lot of therapy himself 
that he's he's not going to go near a bicycle again. And he realized that his entire cycling career was a response to trauma, to childhood trauma. And once he'd realized that, he had, he, he's got no, no need for cycling. And I, and I just think, you know, that, I mean, that's a grand example of, of the zebra and the lion, to, to my mind, but it's, mm-hmm. it, it plays out to some extent, I agree, in all of us. Um, yes. You know, the, there's, there's, a, there's a tiger in our past that all of us have, and to some extent, we're all a little bit zebra running, running from it. Exactly, and 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 that's also some of the things that, because I mean, trauma then becomes something that can also, I mean, you can achieve a lot of things based on on, on trauma, and uh, but but that's why I also say, but people, we have to we have to deal with our trauma because you know the strengths that come that comes from our trauma, there are strengths in trauma. Yeah. They're not going to go away if we process it. But we were just going to utilize those strengths and then in a better way, right? So Bradley Wiggins, okay, well, you know, he's, he's, he's given up cycling. Well, you know, I'm sure he's going to use those strengths in a way that's going to be much more meaningful to him moving forward, yeah. right? So he didn't lose a, a, a bicycling career. No, no, he, he gained a new way of actually using those strengths in another way and probably more productive for him and perhaps for the world, right? Yeah, I mean, it'd be fascinating to see, to see where he goes. But uh, well, I think he's already doing great service to the world, from my, in my opinion, because he's yeah. openly talking about about childhood trauma and how it affected him. Instead of breaking that topic open. Yeah, and we all have it, right? And, and I, I say that in the book. Also, listen, one thing that's very important to remember is it's not the magnitude of the trauma that's important. It's not how it compares to others, right? I mean, if mm. something, if there's a painful experience in our lives that is still dictating the way we behave today. Well, then that's enough because then that's my reality. That's my experience, right? Because sometimes we can have that tendency. We can say, well, this happened to me, but look at, you know, Paul down the street, what happened to him? That was really bad. So, you know, my trauma doesn't matter, right? But, but we can't compare, just like we can't compare authenticity, <laughs> you know, we, we, we cannot compare trauma either. It's the experience that we have. And, and when we had a traumatic experience, we should definitely um, deal with it, right? Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, Mark, I'd be intrigued. What did you discover in that area that had perhaps driven your you know, entrepreneurial pursuits? Yeah, um, I went to I went to this special private school when I was a kid, where you you had the same teacher uh, in all classes for uh, for four years. Um, and I don't know what the reasoning behind this, uh, was, uh, maybe that, you know, then student, uh, the student and, and teacher can form a, a better bond or, or something. I, I, I don't honestly know, but I know that for me it was, uh, was a complete nightmare because, uh, my teacher did not approve of me. My teacher did not like me actually. Um, she would, uh, often humiliate me in class. Uh, you know, if I said something and she didn't, she didn't agree with it, she could spend minutes explaining to the whole class, you know, why this was a, a stupid answer or a stupid question. And, and she would, she would humiliate. And, and that went on for, uh, for some time before then I eventually uh, shifted school. But what I realized is that what had motivated me was I wanted to make sure I never felt like I did in that classroom. I wanted to prove to the world that what my teacher said about me not being worth anything, being stupid, and, and all of these th- things that she said, 
I wanted to show to the world that that was definitely not the case. So that became my fuel, right? My fuel became that, uh, you know, I wanted to prove this. But of course, it didn't, it didn't work for me, right? This uh, scared little schoolboy, this trauma was still inside me. And that's why whenever I reached a goal, I, I felt like, okay, well, and then I have to do another one or another one, right? Uh, in order for this feeling to go away. Yeah. And, it's, and what's fascinating is you, you caught yourself in this, you know, relatively early in your life. And I, and I think there are many people who go to their graves never having you know, made this realization. Yes. And, and that's why I also say I was thankful for the therapy because mm. when I went to therapy uh, in the beginning, when we, you, you know, it's only because I had that many hours of therapy. I thought, okay, well, you know, what can I bring up now? It wasn't the first thing I brought up in therapy. Right. It was after a while, right? And I said, well, I did have this teacher that, you know, I didn't really like her. She could, she could be mean to me, right? Uh, but I'm over that. I'm just glad I moved on. That was my sort of uh, approach to things until we start talking about it. In a, you know, I was asked the right questions. It was in a, a safe environment. And then all of a sudden I realized, wow, this has been a motivator for me, this traumatic experience to do all of these things, to avoid feeling like that scared little boy ever again. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's it's also understandable that it can be difficult for people to realize because... Sometimes we just, uh, we need to spend some time in order to get there, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think what you've illustrated there is, that, is the, as perhaps a, a beautiful pairing of intuition and, and exploring intention because it was your intuition who was like, oh, maybe there's something with this teacher. Like, I'm not sure, it's probably nothing. But, but yeah. in my experience of doing my own self-work, it's that little voice that, oh, there is maybe yes. this thing is pretty much 100% right, right? That, that yeah. little thing that you're kind of yeah. dismissing is, is where you need to go. And then yes, it's, it's right. You can get into intention. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think I think I refer to that as I call it the authentic conscience, right? Mm. And, and it's that thing that 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 sort of tells you what is really uh, what is right for me, right? And and that is how our psyche is sort of is mapped out. If there's something uh, not working, you know, it'll it'll start by gently tapping us on our shoulder, right? And if we ignore it, then it'll tap a little harder. You know, until it gives us a slap at the back of our heads if we don't pay attention, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and um, and and the space—the point you make about having space. This is this is so important, isn't it? You know, you you gave yourself that forty hours, uh, and it, this is something that you know this this process of going deep, deeper, the inner work. It, it, you you can't slot it into. Yeah, fifteen minute segments, you know, between meetings, right? It's it's something you, that needs space and time. Exactly, and it's uh, you know, in we can be very sort of in in this day and age, we can talk a lot about uh, life hacks, right? Mm. And, and and there is really no life hack towards authenticity, right? There is no life hack towards understanding yourself. It is a it is a constant journey, right? Yeah. Just follow these five steps to get to your authentic <laughs> self in 30 yeah. days. <laughs> you can imagine it, it as an advert, right? But Yes, exactly. Exactly, right? I, I saw that uh, on social media. Uh, at one point, there was a, there was a guy giving a, a leadership seminar on, he called it strategic empathy. And <laughs> I couldn't help but think, what's strategic empathy? That's, you know, 
that sounds like something that's not, you know, empathetic at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, just enough to get you, yeah. you know, to get what you need from someone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that also when you look in the in, into today's world, and that's also why you can get a little off course, right? Is that when you're when you're in a in a situation in life, things aren't working out for you, right? And you then you 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 naturally you'll start looking to others like I, I can't make this work. What are, what are other people doing, right? And what are the messages we're met with? Well, if we're on social media, maybe it's uh, some business coach uh, explaining how they he used to make twenty five hundred dollars a a month, and now he makes twenty five million dollars, and all he had to do was uh, A, B, and Z, or A, B, and C, and and then. You know, our sort of uh, sort of our, our low self esteem will, will they'll it'll grab onto that thought. I've been doing things wrong. That I have to use this system here with these five steps, and then you know, then it'll materialize, right? And all of a sudden, you're caught up in systems and 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 five point plans for you know being more happy, more efficient, and so forth. And and really, you're missing out on what you really need to do, which is to connect to your authentic self. Yeah. And, and give yourself the time to do that and allow your intuition to guide you into what's going to help. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. And, and allow yourself to be with those emotions that can probably sometimes be difficult, right? Because, you know, it is with, in, in being with these emotions that we find out more about ourselves, right? By giving up this avoidance behavior. Oh, that's such an important point, right? I mean, that was the absolute key for me, you know, to yeah. be, even begin healing of, of anything is yeah. a, an ability to to feel into my my body to feel sensations to feel feelings to name them to be with them i can even feel myself like you know in big deep breath in as i do it just just recalling yeah. those early steps into that that whole world which i'd yeah successfully kept at bay for the you know first few decades of my life yeah and and uh, i i, I I can recognize that because I'm, I'm, uh, you know, a logical thinking person that, you know, emotions, when people say, Hey, that, you know, do you have a good feeling about it? I would be like, I don't know what does the data say, <laughs> say you know, I've, what do you mean feeling? Right. And, and we can have this, uh, I know for, for myself, but I also see that in a lot of clients and, and people around me that we tend to cut off our emotions and then we think that we're not feeling anything. Right. So, right. you, you know, so how do you feel about, oh, well, I don't feel anything, you know, in regards to that, right? But then when you get a little deeper, well, you know, we do actually feel a whole lot. We just cut off that connection, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and as I was mentioning before we came on air here, um, I think we're at a, yeah, possibly an inflection point in culture right now uh, around this whole topic of, well, authenticity more broadly, but also this feeling our feelings. And I was running a wellness day for a client a month or so back, and there was this fascinating exchange with, with uh, two people in, who I was working with in this, this large group of about 30 people, and, and one lady who was maybe in her you know, 50s. And it isn't just generational, but you know, I think it's, it's a factor. And, uh, and, an, and another um, girl who was maybe like 19 or something, right? And they, they, were, they were talking about, is it okay to talk about our feelings in the workplace? And, uh, and, and the, the older lady was adamant that this, you know, the workplace is not the place to share feelings and, and we need to be professional. And that's something, you, you know, you leave at home. And, and the 
the, the girl was like, no, 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 that's completely wrong. I want to be authentic at work. It's important for me to be authentic. It's important that I feel comfortable to share my feelings. And, and this was, a, you can always feel like the room going sort of 50 50 uh, as to who is right. But it, it feels like we are right now having this debate, you know, sort of society wide. Yes, I, th I think you're right. And I think you're also right that there can be something that's generational, right? So, uh, you know, the older we are, then maybe we've experienced that being vulnerable was something that could be used against you uh, at a later stage, right? And, and we've sort of taken a, a cultural sort of a battle with this, right? We're with victim blaming and, uh, and stuff like that to make sure that people can have the space to be, be vulnerable, right? And, and in business, I, I think I see it a lot, right? I, I see that sometimes we, when we talk about it uh, at seminars, we talk about, well, you know, our parents' generation, well, you know, they worked to survive. That was it. You know, if you were working at a coal mine, it was bad for your health. Your boss was a jerk. Didn't matter. You know, you were working because you wanted to survive, right? Um, that's a little different for our generation. You know, we started working because, you know, we wanted to go on nice vacations and have a nice house and a nice car and we wanted to improve our living standards, right? Uh, this new generation coming up, it's nothing like that for them, right? Uh, you know, if they're, if, I don't know, if they're from the Western world or from the middle class and up from anywhere in the world, they're not taking a job because they want to survive. They're not taking a job because they want to improve their living standards. You know, if they want to try living in, in a villa, they will Airbnb a villa in Portugal with some friends, work remotely. You know, when they work, they want to be authentic, right? They want to make an impact, you know, uh, on the world and they want, you know, to express their purpose, right? So I think it's a generational thing and, if, and a good thing that, you know, this next generation is much more comfortable about emotions and expressing them. And they're also expressing them in the workplace, right? Because you know, the notion that we can be authentic in our private life and then be inauthentic in our professional life, I, I don't think it works like that. You know, it, it'll, it'll leak in and, you know, it, we have to be authentic all the time, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And, and it's, and it also, be, well, there's this phrase I love, right? You, you start doing this work, you're attempting to master it and then it masters you, right? For me, it becomes almost, imp I'm almost incapable of like, not expressing a feeling about something now, whereas before it would have been the opposite, right? I would have it would have been almost impossible for me to express a feeling. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that that also comes right from a sort of a realization that that <clears throat> being authentic, sort of like be it 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 beats being comfortable in the moment. Can you know we cannot you cannot compromise it because you know the cost of that. If I keep you know the cost of of, you, you know, compromising my authenticity and, and not expressing my emotions. It's going to be too big, you know, compared to any sort of comfort I'm going to have uh, uh, right now in the moment, right? Yeah, yes, I think that's right. And, um, and, and I also believe that it, for me, it's almost, it's become, um, I, don't, I don't have to make a conscious decision. It's, it's, it's almost as if I've just opened certain channels, right, in my physiology or in my, you know, electric field i'm getting big into like considering ourselves as sort of electric bodies that's it, it's just now open and and there's mm -hmm. no like there's no way for me to to close it off again right it seems that some some of these breakthroughs are uh irreversible right in a good way yeah um, exactly yeah um that makes that, that's been my 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 experience i, I think um, you're right and i think it's a, a very healthy way to to be you know 
you know, uh, I think you're, you're, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's going to actually manifest as a, both a more emotional well-being, but also if more physical well-being, you know, uh, expressing your emotions in a, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think that's right. Um, and I, th- I mean, the other thing I would say that, that sometimes a critique of this kind of feeling sharing culture is that then people will, um, you know, they'll, they'll label themselves as having some condition or other, and they'll get, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll assume a narrative about themselves because they have X or Y. And I, for me, when I look at that, it's like people have got kind of stuck, like they've felt enough of their trauma or their pain to kind of understand it. And there's something empowering about them being able to label it. But then they, they, it feels like they, they then get stuck on doing the deeper work to actually heal and resolve it to, to come out of the other side. I does that make sense to you? Yeah, a lot. Uh, you know, it, and it goes to vulnerability, right? I mean, vulnerability is saying, okay, here I am. This is, this is who I am, what I feel, right? But vulnerability, it's just so important. It doesn't become an excuse, Vulnerability must not become an excuse for not doing anything or having to do a certain thing because, you know, this is, because then we, then, then when we take the growth away, then we take it, you know, because there's a good chance that our authentic self lies with outside the definitions that we put on ourselves when we express these excuses, right? We say, I have to do this because my condition or, you know, I am uh, highly sensitive emotionally or whatever, it dictates that it has to be like that. Well, then, then we sort of limit ourselves, right? We, so instead of focusing on uh, uh, what what success is, then we start focusing on what the, what the limits are or whatever, and, and and we sort of confine ourselves to this, right? So it's important that that these things doesn't become excuses and, and hindrances because our authentic self, whether we like it or not, it lies outside our comfort zone, right? And um, mm. And, you know, I know it sounds uncomfortable to be outside your comfort zone, right? But but it has a purpose, right? You know, we, we're going to be ultimately um, happier. Yeah, yeah. And um, the last part of your book you, you call Purposeful Living. Uh, and I think we've talked about this, this a bit so far, but it'd be interesting uh, just for you to expand a bit more on what you mean by purposeful living, um, purpose as a driving force. Uh, and yeah, it's also sort of almost how you really integrate what we've talked about into your, into your life. Yeah. Uh, I love talking about this, right? Because I think it's so important because we live in a culture that is very goal driven, right? We need to set goals. We need to be, uh, you know, uh, and, and we get our direction from goals, right? Well, we've already talked about goals in themselves are meaningless. There has to be a purpose behind them, right? If there is, uh, no purpose, then, you know, uh, we can set whatever goal. Once we reach it, it'll do nothing for us, right? If we want to, uh, I put the say in the book. If you want to reach your goals and just your goals, it requires a lot of effort. It requires a lot of discipline, right? Uh, and that's one way of getting direction. But there are other ways of getting direction. It doesn't have to be from goals because people usually get a little scared. They hear, "Well, well are you trying to tell me now something that goals are bad, or I should?" Just give them up a bit or something, you know, they're going to be like, but where am I going to get my forward momentum in life? And, and I'm saying, well, you can get your forward momentum, but you can get it from purpose. You can be pulled from your purpose. I mean, that, I guess that's also what I, I, I believe is, is my journey. And, and also when I talk to you, Richard, I hear it's your journey is, okay, when we live our purpose, you know, then that gives us a direction, right? So in the book, I say, well, Mother Teresa, right? 
she got up every day. She fed uh, the poor people of India, right? It's never about the goals for her, you know. I mean, if she was alive today, I write in the book, jokingly, I mean, you wouldn't see her on Instagram doing selfies with, uh, you know, just fed 10,000 people, you know, tomorrow it's 15,000, right? Because it was never, it's never about the goal from her. She got the same, it was about the purpose, right? So she got the same experience from helping one person as she did a hundred people, right? And that's the same I get when I help someone on the journey towards authenticity. That feeling I get from helping one person, it doesn't matter if it's one or if it's 10 or if it's a hundred people, you know, you know, it's because it's coming from my purpose. I think we can have, or we can have direction from our purpose rather than from our goal. It yeah. doesn't mean, yeah, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean we have to give our, our goals completely. But we need to make sure that they align with our purpose because that's where our main guidance is coming from. Right. And, and for people who want to uncover their purpose, right, mm -hmm. do, do you have some specific guidance for them? Um, well, I mean, definitely some of the things I think I did myself, right? Is, you know, I started asking myself, what if there were no expectations? Right. Then what would happen? What if everyone around me met me with positivity? You know, then what would happen? Right. And then I think I spent a lot of time thinking about a goal is something you achieve. Right. Uh, that's you set a goal, you set out to achieve it. Uh, that's, that's sort of the foundation for it. It's not like that with a purpose. A purpose you should be able to express right now. Right. So, uh, you know, I should be able in the way that I am to express my purpose in this very moment. If I can't, then I'm actually just saying to myself that another goal is my purpose, you know. And some people do that. What's your purpose in life? Oh, it's to make money. Like, that's not a purpose. That's a goal, <laughs> you know. Uh, a purpose should be something you can express right there in the moment. Uh, if you're a parent... You, I like that. Yeah, yeah. If you're a parent, you'll know that if it, because we have more than one purpose depending on the settings, right? You know, I say my purpose is to help people become their uh, authentic self well you know the, yeah that's my purpose but sometimes i'm with my kids one of them is crying and they just need a hug and me to be there well then that's my purpose in that moment to be a good dad right but to be a good dad is a purpose i can always express in every moment i'm with my children i can express that purpose and we should remember that about that our our purposes our purposes should be something we can express right now because if not I don't think they're really a purpose. Then they're more a goal. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a present moment state of being that you can have yes. access to at any moment. Yeah, exactly. And that's also you see, presence. That's a good word to use, right? Because presence is also what makes it a little scary, right? Now, I mean, we can be we can be present when we try to reach our goals, but we don't have to. <laughs> you know, we can also not be present when we try to reach our right. goals. Yeah. But when we express our purpose, we have to be present. It's not possible to express our purpose without being present. And of course, that can be scary because then you're being present and you're being silent. And uh, as you talked about earlier, then you have to listen to what your emotions and your body and <laughs> is telling you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that really makes sense now how you spoke before about goals as potentially being used to to push away, right? To push away the present because the, the goal is always, you know, out there. It's 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 an intellectual abstraction, right? It's in in many ways, it's a, it can be a pushing pushing away of what's present. 
Yeah, uh, I think, do you, I don't know if you know the psychiatrist uh, Phil Stutz? No. Okay, well, he's an American psychiatrist, and I think he puts it very well. He says, uh, you know, we have these snapshots in life, um, and so, but we forget, we forget uh, you know, one important thing. And he says, in his, in his view, there are three sort of like main conditions in life. The first main condition is that there's going to be uncertainty in life. Stuff's going to happen, you know, uh, you're going to get fired, you can lose your money, uh, things happen. That's a part of life. This is the sec- second thing that will happen is pain. You're not avoided. You know, there will be pain. Somebody, your, your partner's going to leave you. Somebody in your family's going to get sick and die. And he says the third thing is that life is a constant work, you know. So it doesn't matter how much money you make, well, then something will happen. You know, you'll get a back thing and you have to do exercises every morning. And even there's constant work in life. And he says the problem with these snapshots we have is these goals. We think that one, two, or all three of these sort of like main topics in life are going to be, they're going to be less of them. They're not going to be there. You know, there's going to be complete certainty. There's going to be, it's going to be pain-free or there's going to be no work, right? And he says the problem is, well, once we get there, then we find out it's actually exactly the same as, you know, my snapshot, my goal didn't change anything, right? Right, right. Yeah, fascinating. It's like a, uh, yeah, an illusion somehow, right? It isn't. I use it myself when I do make my goals and I say, okay, well, you know, I, I, I say to myself, do I know that once I reach this, I will have the same amount of uncertainty in my life. I will have the same amount of pain and I will have the same amount of constant work. If I still then says, well, say, this is something I want to do and it aligns with my purpose. And I say, okay, well, then I'm going to go for it. Right, right. right. And and how does this fit into the idea of, of seeking? Um, I had somebody on the podcast, uh, who, uh, Garrett Kramer, who talks about this idea of non, non-duality and how, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we, we separate ourselves with the ego. Uh, we create this, this dualism, um, and, and we satisfy the ego with seeking, right? And, and the ego needs to be seeking something, right? And so one of the ways that we can satisfy the ego is with a goal, right? Seek to achieve this goal. But we can, we can kind of use the ego almost against itself by having it seek something else, um, mm-hmm. perhaps its purpose or so. So, do you? Yeah, how do you see sort of seeking the seeking nature of the ego play into what you're talking about? I, I think that's a it's good a good way of uh, of looking at it, or you know, trying to direct the attention of uh, of, of of the ego somewhere uh, somewhere else, right? I, I think we. We still also have to be uh, sort of aware of this this thing with the ego that if we keep seeking, if we keep chasing, then we believe that we will attain something, you know, a, a sense of nirvana or a complete enlightenment or something like that. And then we're basically uh, not being authentic because then we're just, instead of a, a chase outside of ourselves, it becomes a chase inside of ourselves. And, and maybe we should, be wary about this, this chasing, right? And then and be a little more, uh, uh, yes, maybe to, to, to stay in this Eastern philo- philosophical analogies, maybe we should detach ourselves more from the outcome, right? Maybe we should do the things that is authentic for us, regardless of what outcome it'll provide, simply because we know that it'll add to our self-esteem and it'll add to our happiness and, you know, our authenticity. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes 
That makes sense. Um, well, we've, I feel like we've had a, a, a very good tour, again, of, of, of the book, uh, the, the art uh, of being authentic. Is, is there anything we haven't touched on that you would have liked to have explored so far? No, I, th I think we had a great conversation, really. And, and I hope that the people who've watched and listened to this, uh, you know, uh, that it has piqued their interest in, in, in authenticity. If they uh, want to know more about it, of course they can. They can go to Amazon and buy my uh, my book. But uh, really, whether they do or not, uh, you know, this the journey towards authenticity is uh, is a journey we should all you know strive to make. I think. Yeah, and I have to say, your your presence is one of authenticity. You, it really feels like you you walk your talk. I I, I definitely feel like I'm in the presence of someone being very authentic. Yeah. Oh. That's, thank that's, you. That's how I sense you. Yeah. Thank you very much, Richard. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, Mark, we'll put, we'll definitely put a link to the, to the book uh, into the the show description. Uh, is there anywhere else you would send them? Yeah. Interested, interested in perhaps working with you or going deeper in, into your work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you can go to, to my website, tmarkmeyer.com. Uh, there are a lot of resources there. There's also a newsletter on authentic living, and there's one on authentic leadership. Right. Um, yes, if you're more to the personal part of it, you can go to my Instagram, authentic tmarkmeyer, and uh, there's a lot of video, video clips and quotes there. And if you're more into the whole leadership uh, side of things, uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I do a, a newsletter there on authentic leadership. I talk about authentic leadership. And I guess no matter what platform you're on, just feel free to reach out. Uh, you know, I reply my messages and uh, yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks once again. And we'll, we'll put the links then to your Insta and your, your LinkedIn and the, the website. Fantastic. Um, well, this has been brilliant. Uh, really, and I've been really energized by the conversation. So that's always a great sign. Uh, isn't isn't that funny how you t often taking that kind of subtler, uh, yeah, yeah, softer, more in tuned approach is actually you know more energizing sometimes than sort of I'm just speaking to myself most <laughs> than sort of pepping myself up to be you know some kind of enthusiastic energy giver. Yeah, but you're right. If funnily, my my, my latest uh, newsletter was about how being authentic sort of revitalizes us and gives us energy, and when right. when we're around people that allow us to be authentic, uh, like I'm also feeling in this moment, then, then we have mm. a lot more energy than if we're with people that do not allow us to be authentic, then it can almost work the opposite way. Yeah, exactly. And of course that, well, in the business context, which is so often where I, I mean, that is gold right? to, to have yeah. you know, enthusiastic, energized people. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what you that's want. That's the yeah. bedrock of, of a great business performance, if we were to put it in that term. Those Excellent. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, all right. Well, thanks again, Mark. Uh, this has been wonderful, and uh, yeah, uh, I uh, I look forward to hearing more from you on uh, on authenticity. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to. FirstHuman.com.